In the book of Luke, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Many say fire was humankind's greatest discovery. Its heat provides us warmth. It allows us to cook delicious foods. Fire brought light into the darkness. It allows us to craft tools or to forge pottery. Fire can defend, but it can also destroy. Fire has inspired many great innovations like this awesome Zippo lighter app on my phone, which allows me to sing Freebird at the concert without burning myself. <laughs> fire can bring us great joy like s'mores by a campfire. But fire can also get out of control it can spread quickly and become unstoppable. Welcome campuses to week one of the Acts series this summer, The Church on Fire. For the next few weeks, we'll be journeying through the book of Acts to discover what was it about this first century church that was on fire. And I love that word unstoppable because it brings up images of things like tornadoes or tsunamis or stampedes. There's something coming at you and you can't stop it. Which gets us to our first fill-in for the day because I'm not going to let you just rest. <laughs> the first fill-in for the day is this, the early church was unstoppable. It was an unstoppable force. Even when conflict, even when controversy, even when threatened, and even when killed, they could not stop the early church. In fact, it only seemed to embolden it and make it stronger and grow even faster. And that church grew across the first century landscape like nothing we've seen before. I love this verse in Acts 12, 24. It says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. It was an unstoppable movement. Why? I think the reason primarily is this. The people in the first century church were contagious. They were contagious. What do I mean by that? There was just something about the way they lived 
and the way they did things that made other people look at them and go, whatever it is you have, I need it. Whatever it is you're doing, I want some of that. I need to live like that. And they lived their lives in such a way that other people wanted to live their lives like them. And this had an enormous effect on them to be able to continue to spread even further. We read in Acts 6-7, it says this, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. The early church was passionate about multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches. And that passion combined with this new life and this message of hope and resurrection of the dead only took the message even further. That church was on fire. The people were contagious. Now, we see cultural movements all the time, fads, and they they come and go. And sometimes they look like they have that sort of excitement. I mean, for instance, in 1975, some genius convinced over a million people to purchase pet rocks. (laughs) Now, when you purchase a pet rock, it comes in this great animal container, and it has holes in it so your rock can breathe. Inside is a nest of hay so that your rock is comfortable. Now, I wasn't real sure what a pet rock does, so I read the instructions. And the instructions said, take out your pet rock and place it on newspaper. It will know what to do. (laughs) If you leave and come back, it will be right where you left it, obediently. I even brought the upgraded version. Mine came with a USB cable. Do you know what happens when you plug your pet rock into a USB port on your computer? Nothing. It's a rock. Absolutely nothing happens. Now, you might be tempted to think that is just the stupidest thing I have ever heard. But that stupid person went on to make $15 million, which today would be the equivalent of about $40 million. How would you like to make $40 million selling Mexican beach rocks to other people? But that's how movements work. They catch on fire and they they go, they kind of have this life of their own. And for a season, they seem unstoppable until they run out of energy. And this is how the early church was, except that it never stopped. For over 2,000 years, it has continued, long since taking it past fad status. I mean, what started as a group of people hunkered down in a home after Jesus went back up in heaven within just a few years and decades was hundreds of thousands and millions that became Christians. So what was it about this small group of followers and this Jewish teacher named Jesus that was so influential, that changed the world, and it eventually brought an empire down to its knees? What was so different about this movement, this group of people, that Christianity would thrive when all other things would come and go? Why were they on fire, and why has it sustained for so long? 
It was interesting to find out more and more about fire in the past couple weeks and to ask the question, what is it that starts and maintains a fire? Now, if anybody has ever worked for the fire department or maybe in fire protection, safety, engineering, something like that, you would be familiar with something we call the fire triangle. And the fire triangle says that if you are going to start and maintain a fire, you have to have three things or you can't do that. Those three things are this. You will need air, you will need heat, and you will need fuel. Take out any one of these things and you cannot have a fire. And we're about to find out that momentums, that, that movements that are on fire, they have many of the same ingredients of the fire triangle if they are to maintain and to ignite as well, which gets us to our first fill in today that if you're going to have a movement that is on fire, you need something to ignite it. Something has to ignite that. Now in real life, that's a spark or maybe that's a, a match or a lighter. Maybe it's a naturally occurring thing like lightning or lava, but something has to be the catalyst to start that fire. Now let's talk real quick about some recent movements and what it is that it ignited them and made them a force in recent times. Maybe some of you have seen recently the advertisements or the billboards for something called Red Nose Day. Has anyone seen that out there? Yeah, I had no idea what that was about, so I did some digging on it. And what we found out is that it was started in the mid-1980s by a British comedian who wanted to make a difference and help feed the hungry children in Africa. And so they started this two-year telethon. It's about every couple years. Since the mid-1980s, they've been able to raise over $380 million to feed hungry children throughout the world. Pretty incredible. Or how about this one from last year? Who here remembers the ice bucket challenge? Who here took the ice bucket challenge? Who here took it unwillingly when their wife poured it on them? Mm-hmm. There was a guy out there whose friend had ALS and he wanted to bring awareness to the disease ALS and also hopefully have some funds to find a cure for it. And so he started this challenge. What's interesting is Facebook reported that over 2.4 million people took the ice, uh, the ice bucket challenge on Facebook alone. Or maybe you've seen the end it movement where people put a red X on their hand on April 9th, which helps to bring awareness to modern day slavery issues that exist throughout the world. Or maybe you've bought the products that are part of the Product Red lineup. This was started by the lead singer Bono in 2006, who wanted to bring awareness to the HIV and AIDS epidemic that is ravaging Africa. And he worked alongside the manufacturer to say that a proceed of each of the sales of those red products would go towards that. The last one is the Snuggie. This is a group of Franciscan friars who kept losing their clothes. Not really, I made that up. I have no idea what that's about. In each of these situations, minus the Snuggie, 
something ignited someone into action. Something ignited a group of people to go out and to make a difference in the world, which leads us then to the question, what was it that ignited the early church and set it off to be such a radical revolutionary force in the first century world? And I don't have to look too far to find the answers. We turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We read this. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. (coughs) The power that ignited the early church was the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God working in and through them. And if you want to make a difference in the world, and if you want to be something for the kingdom, you are going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you as well too, because this Holy Spirit allowed that early church to accomplish things they never could have accomplished on their own and would never have normally done. To accomplish God-sized dreams, you will need the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit is more than simply a head exercise or something you read about. To know the Holy Spirit, you have to experience it. You have to live it. The Holy Spirit has to dwell inside and through you. It's not just a head exercise. It's God's power living in and through you in everything you do. The next thing you will need if you're to be a church on fire is something to sustain the fire. In life, that is oxygen or air. But what is it that sustained this first century church to be such a radical force in the world and to to grow as it did? And I believe with all my heart that it was this. It was the message. It was the message that they held dear that took this group of people throughout the empire, which leads, though, to a question. What is the message? What is this thing they held on to that sustained it through all the years? And again, we don't have to get too far in Acts chapter 1 as we read in verse 3. It says, after his suffering, that's being Jesus, He presented himself to them, the apostles, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. What was the message of the early church? It was this. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. This was not just an Easter message. This is at the core of who we are as Christians. The resurrection is everything. Take away the resurrection. There is no Christianity. Everything we believe and everything we do is founded on this one principle that Jesus really did die and he really did rise from the grave three days later because what the resurrection says is powerful to the world. The resurrection says that with every death, there can be a resurrection through Jesus Christ. Every death, there can be a resurrection through Jesus Christ. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what terrible thing you think you are in, you are never too far from God's grace. Grace still works. It's still available for everyone. There is nothing you have done or will do that is beyond God's forgiveness, that is too much for the cross of Christ for all those who believe. God's grace is available to all. 
And essentially what the new church was saying was, you can have new life through Jesus Christ. Grace and love still works. And in fact, when we get that grace and love and we grab onto it, we then get the eyes of Jesus and see the world as Jesus sees it. And we can't help but go out in the world and say, there is hope and healing through Jesus Christ. This is the good news. And they were passionate about making sure the world knew and understand this thing that they held dear in their hearts. Jesus is risen. The third thing that is needed if you want to be a church on fire is you need something to catch on fire. You need fuel. A fire cannot burn without fuel. You are not going to enjoy your fireplace on a nice winter evening if you don't have wood or kindling in there to burn. You must have fuel for a fire to work. I love this passage in Acts chapter 4. The religious leaders were telling two of the early church leaders, John and Peter, that they can no longer publicly speak about Jesus. I love their response. In Acts 4.20, it says this, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. We can't stop. What's the fuel that burned brightly in that first century church? You. You're the fuel that is to burn brightly. It is God's message and the Holy Spirit living in you that lights us on fire to be a force in the world. God's church on fire is not a building. It is not a place. The church is people. If the church is to be on fire, people have to be on fire. You are the fuel in which the fire must burn. Because the first century church didn't meet in buildings like this. They met in homes, but they never sat around and talked about what they didn't have. What they talked about is what they did have. And what they had was a faith, they had fellowship, they had a new way of life, and they had the confidence that Jesus was alive. And because of that, their church was on fire. And if you want to see your family be on fire, if you want to make a difference in your community, and if we're going to be a force in the world, it starts with you. You have to be on fire. You have to allow God to burn in and through you. You are the fuel that guides this movement. I loved reading this passage out of the fireman's manual. It said this, Remove any one of the three sides or elements and the fire will cease to burn. Weaken anyone and the fire will weaken. Increase anyone, one or more of the elements, and the fire will increase in intensity. And like the fire, we need all three things if we are going to burn brightly for the Lord. We will need the Holy Spirit to ignite us. We will need the message to sustain us. And we will have to allow God to burn in and through us so that we can shine our light out in the world and they can know this hope and healing that we hold dear. For the early church, that meant simply this. They understood that we are the church, Jesus is the message, and we are ignited by the Holy Spirit. And we're called to do the same. And like Peter and John, what is it you have seen and heard? 
that you can't help but tell the world about it. What have you seen? What have you heard? What are some of the signs that a church is on fire? As we read through the Acts church, we'll see four different things on a regular basis that I want to share with you today. The first century church was often doing these things, and we're called to do the same. One of the first signs of a church that's on fire is this. It was not afraid to pay a physical cost. Many of the first century church apostles and followers paid the ultimate price for their belief in Jesus Christ. They were killed or they were thrown in the Colosseum. It was reported that the emperor Nero impaled Christians and lit them on fire to have lighting at his parties. There was a physical cost. And I love this verse from Acts chapter 5. The apostles had been ordered not to talk about Jesus once again, only this time they were flogged for it. What was their response in Acts 5.42? It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It did not matter that they had been flogged. It did not matter that they had been threatened. They didn't even seem all that concerned about burnout. Because here's something I know about burnout. You can't burn out if you've never actually been on fire. Right? You can't burn out if you've never actually been on fire. Second thing I've noticed about churches that are on fire is this. They are committed to a high view of the church. I remember when I was a, a young man, what feels like a long time ago, and I was sitting around a table with some other young people that I knew, and we were talking about all the things that were wrong with the church because you know, we were experts. I'll never forget after a while, a, an elderly pastor got up who had overheard us. And he walked over to our table quietly and he placed his Bible on the center of the table and he pointed at a verse and he said, read it please. This verse ended up becoming my life verse as a pastor. It was Acts 20, 28, and here's what it said. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God in which he bought with his own blood. Oof. It was like a punch in the gut. Whose church is it? Whose? It's God's church. And he paid a very dear price for it, didn't he? His blood, his son sent to die on our behalf. 
What do you say when you speak of the church? How do you speak of God's church when you are talking with your friends or those around you? What do you have to say about this thing he died for that he owns? The early church took church very seriously. So much so, many died. I would caution us about not taking the church seriously. The third thing I've noticed about churches that are on fire is this. They are obsessed with discipleship. We're called to multiply disciples. That's people becoming more and more like Jesus in all that they do. And it is disciples that multiply disciples that multiply disciples that spread this movement across the global landscape. And we're called to do the same thing today. The best way is for disciples to step into the lives of other disciples and disciple them, which leads to the question, who are you discipling? Whose life have you stepped into to help them understand what it means to be more and more like Jesus Christ in all they do? In Acts 14, 21, it said, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody else? When's the last time you shared your story? When's the last time you sat down and had coffee with somebody to help disciple them and help them take next steps in their journey with Jesus Christ? What are you doing to multiply disciples for the kingdom? Because churches that are on fire are obsessed with discipleship. The fourth thing I've noticed about churches that are on fire is this. The people are earnestly praying. And you will notice this about the first century church. They were constantly praying. They were constantly crying out to God for everything. And we believe that a church that it's on its knees crying out to God in prayer is a church that will make a difference not only locally but throughout the world. And I want to be a church that makes a difference everywhere. To do that, we're going to have to be a church on our needs. I think this goes without saying, and we've mentioned this before, but every great movement of God first started with a group of people who were on their knees crying out to God. And the truth is this, a praying church will not be stopped by the distractions of the world. We must be a praying church. We read in Acts 12, 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was praying. But even more specifically, notice in this verse who they were praying for. They were praying for one of their church leaders. They were praying for one of their pastors. So let me ask you a question. Do you pray for your church leaders? When you pray, do you pray for the leadership of this church? Notice I didn't ask, do you like the church leaders? Or do you agree with the church leaders, what they do or what they say? It's not the question. The question I'm asking is this. Do you pray for your church leaders? As a church leader, I will unashamedly tell you this. I need your prayers. My family needs your prayers. 
there is a lot of noise and there are a lot of distractions and there are a lot of temptations in this world that would come against me and would come against our family. Because our enemy knows a couple things. Number one, if he can take down a pastor's family, he's got them. And he knows that if he can take down a pastor, he can really put noise in the church. I need your prayers. And so does the leadership here. All the pastors here need your prayers. And so I want to challenge you this week to this. Would you please be willing to pray for us this week? Because we're praying for you. And we need to be a church that is earnestly praying if we're going to be a church that is on fire for the Lord. In the next few weeks, we're going to march through Acts learning more and more about this early church. We're going to go on a journey together. And like all journeys, you go in many different directions. And life's that way. We go in many different directions in life. And we're going to find out the first century church, they went in many different directions as well too. So as we learn from them, we learn a little bit about our life journey as well too. Well, what are some of those directions they went into? Well, the first one I'd want to talk about is this. They went backwards. And we must as well too. And you think, well, that seems odd. But the general idea behind that is this. If we're to understand where we are going, we have to know where we have been. We stand on the shoulders of many great men and women out there who came before us, many who paid the ultimate price so that we can sit here today and worship Jesus in freedom. To understand where we're going, we must look to the past. And this whole journey through Acts is going to be us looking back at the first century church, at the problems they dealt with, at the things they had to work through, and asking ourselves, what does that mean for us today? What is it going to look like for us to be a church on fire as well too? The next direction we'll travel will be upwards. Because the first century church understood that they needed God for everything, that they had to look to God for all of their provisions, that they could do nothing without God's power working in their lives. And we're called to do the same things. We are to keep our eyes on Jesus for everything we do. In fact, it seems that when we take our eyes off of Jesus, that is when we tend to fall off of the trail. That is when we tend to lose our way. We need to keep our focus on God if we are going to be a church on fire that is going to make this journey together. The next direction is inward. We're going to have to look inside ourselves and ask, what is it that's keeping us from being the people that God wants us to be? Dear Lord, show me not only those things I see, but those things in my heart I don't see. Reveal to me those things that are getting in the way and keeping me from living that life you want me to live. Keeping me from having the power of the Holy Spirit work in and through me in a way that just takes this message throughout the world and allows others to know him. As a rule of nature, anything that stops growing dies, and the same is true for us as well. We must be growing in our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. We must be moving forward or outward. 
constantly realizing that there are more and more people out there that need to know Jesus, thinking beyond ourselves. We do not simply exist for ourselves. We exist for others. We exist to take this message of God throughout the world so that other people can know that this Jesus is alive. We must always be mindful of the fact that there are people out there who do not know him. And our job is to bring that message, that there are people out there who are in chains. There are people who are in bondage. There are people who are hurting. There are people that need to be set free. This gospel still works. Jesus Christ is still in the business of changing lives. And this new life sets people free. They need to know that. We must be outward. And the last one is this, withward. It's a made-up word. I own it. But what it means is this, we are on this journey together. You are not meant to do this life alone. We can accomplish more together than we ever could apart. We're called to do life together. We are a community. So I want to encourage you, be part of a small group. Find a group of people to do life with. Come to church every week because we need to do life together. In Acts 2, we read of the early church and the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, how awesome would that be? It also later on said that there was none in need amongst them. They took care of themselves as a community and made sure that all the needs were met. Which gets us to our so what moment. I hope that I've been able to whet your appetite to come each week and learn more and more about this first century church that was on fire, that was an unstoppable movement in the world. If I had to choose one verse that summed up the entire book of Acts, it would be this one, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which meant locally, and in all Judea and Samaria, which was regionally, and to the ends of the earth worldwide. This message that we hold is not simply a message for our small sphere of influence. It is meant to go out not only locally, but regionally and throughout the world. And as a church, we're called to make a difference in all these areas as well, too. What is it going to take for us to be on fire and be a church that not only locally makes a difference, but makes a difference throughout the world? The early church movement started with about a thousand people in Jerusalem. By the fourth century, it had over 25 million people. It spread like wildfire. What in the world was so special about this movement that it not only spread like that, it refused to die? For that, I think I'll borrow the words of a man named Justin Martyr. And as his name implies, he was beheaded in the second century for his beliefs in Jesus Christ. Of that church, he had this to say. We formerly rejoiced in uncleanliness of life, but now love only chastity. Before we used the magic arts, but now we dedicate ourselves to Jesus. Before we loved money and possessions more than anything, 
But now we share what we have with everyone who is in need. Before we hated one another and killed one another, and we would not eat with those of another race. But now since Christ, we have come to a common life. And we pray for our enemies and try to win over those who hate us without just cause. Now that is a movement that I could be a part of. And that is the movement that Jesus Christ is calling us to. How about you? Would you like to be a part of a movement like that? Is that something that resonates with your heart? And I've read the articles and heard the news reports that would say that the, the church is dead and Christianity is dying. But I would caution us on that because the reality is, is the church and Christianity has gone through ups and downs for 2,000 years as it has faced persecution and trial. But this much I know. As long as we are ignited by the Holy Spirit and sustained by the message of hope and healing, and as long as there are people who are willing to allow God to burn in and through them, God's church will stand. It is unstoppable because God still reigns on high. Amen? Amen. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, a man showed up on earth and showed us a new way of living. And this new way of living would be a countercultural movement that would radically change the world. And for many of you, it would say, changed me. His invitation is for you to be a part of this movement. His invitation is for you to surrender your will and way, for him to be the king of your life so that he can transform your life to become the person that he created you to be so that you could take this message of hope and healing out to the world so that you can see others and help them find the freedom through Jesus Christ. That is the radical movement that Jesus came to bring, and it was unstoppable, and it remains unstoppable today. And the invitation still applies. Would you today be willing to join a movement of people who are going to allow God to work in and through them in order to radically change this world? Won't you join us? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to pray for your church, your people. You purchased it with your blood. May we never take it for granted. Lord, we thank you for this message of hope and healing that we can take out to the world. But Lord, I realize there's someone here today, someone sitting there who's saying, I've not fully stepped into this new life that Jesus is offering. May today be the day they say, I surrender. 
May today be the day they say, I need forgiveness of sins. May today be the day that they boldly take that first new step into a new life so that they also can help bring that hope and healing into the world that God is doing in their life. And Lord, I pray for any of those out there who maybe feel like they've been walking through the desert. They're saying, there was a time, I remember a time I was on fire for Jesus, but I've just been thirsty. I just feel like it isn't the same. Lord, ignite in them that Holy Spirit fire so that they may know you. Sustain in them that message that Jesus is risen and may they know that with every death there can be a resurrection. So Lord, take us out of those ashes and rise us up so we can be your people, a force in the world for good. We thank you for the cross and we celebrate the resurrection. In your name, amen.